You're listening to The Heart of It Podcast. My name is Sam Smeltzer, and I'm an HR intuitive and healer. In this podcast, we'll chat about what the industry of human resources can make possible for people and our organizations. In each episode, we'll have raw conversation around inner development and organizational culture change to create a working world where both people and organizations thrive. Thank you for listening. Now let's get this episode started. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Heart of It podcast. I am once again uh, incredibly blessed and so um, excited to bring my next guest to you as we continue in this special segment of things that are worthy to share. Um, my guest today is Melissa Plockton. I have known her mutually for several years. We come and cross paths mm. uh, for different kinds of projects, and today and the times that we're in there couldn't be a more perfect guest to bring on the podcast to talk about the work that we're all kind of being called to do in our organizations and personally. So before we get into our topic today, Melissa, do you want to take a moment and say hello to the listeners and introduce yourself and kind of a little bit about your background? Hello, listeners. Um, This is, I'm finding it weird. I'm usually presenting in front of people. So (laughs) this is um, a little new to me, but um, so I've, I've um, come to this work, um, having lived in York County my whole life, um, minus some time here or there, but pretty much my whole life, um, and working in nonprofit and in uh, some government work as well, being as, in addition to being an advocate in different fields, um, and most recently was working uh, many years at the Victim Assistance Center and Access York through the YWCA. And then um, the most most recent seven years, I worked at the York Jewish Community Center, uh, most recently as the director of their Ideas Center. And um, unfortunately became a COVID casualty. And um, I'm happy to say I landed at Penn State Health and as a project manager in their Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. So this is uh, work that is near and dear to my heart. And if I could pick a word that really kind of resonates with that, it's purpose for me. So I'm looking forward to this conversation and, uh, and, and, and what it can bring to, uh, to your world. You know, uh, this podcast season, we've been talking to a lot of people who are sharing about their ally work. What's unique about Melissa and what she brings to the table is she has experience working directly in these diversity positions that are created in a variety of different ways um, and actually doing that work at an organizational level. Um, I think at a previous guest, we talked about these DIY work groups and task groups that are popping up everywhere. Mm-hmm. And um, Nicole Schaefer actually pushed very, very lovingly saying that we need to get people that are used to doing this work to help be our guides because this is a complex topic. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm having four or five different conversations on this podcast, all completely different. 
um, but it's a testament to the complexity and the personal piece, but as well as the organizational piece that we're getting called to task. We're getting called to do both right now, to unlearn, mm -hmm. but also change, change our organizations, our policies, our structures, our society, mm -hmm. uh, which is as much as I would love to have happen in 72 hours, it's not going to happen in 72 hours. <laughs> um, and if only. Yeah, if only. I wish there was, this is one I do wish there was magical pixie dust that we could undo. Um, but then again, there is beautiful lessons that have been happening along the way that I think people need. Yes. And one of the way those lessons happen is through the sharing of stories. And Melissa, um, today, that's what we're going to talk about is how stories really are the basis for transformation. And when we're talking about this work, it's not just about checking boxes for us to do it well. There has to be a transformation that occurs personally as well as structurally for an organization. Um, but that structure is only as strong as the people that are behind it and what they believe. Um, and so in a previous conversation, when Melissa and I were planning, she mentioned to me that stories change hearts. And when she said that, it just, it hit me in the heart. It just vibrated because it's so true. Um, they are transforming internal art. I mean, that's exactly what they are. So what stories do you think we need to hear most right now? And how do we find them? This is, um, in a previous podcast, I said, this is the, this is a time of change mm -hmm. and there's so much sharing happening right now. And if these stories, if stories can transform our hearts, uh, which ones should we be seeking out? Which ones do we really need to be listening to right now? That's a great question. And I think it's before we even get to the stories themselves, um, we have to understand that if change is going to happen, we have to want it to happen. And I think a lot of people will say, yes, I, I, I listen, I want to hear, but do you really want to hear? And that's, that's the question. Um, oftentimes when I do a training, it's, you know, I will ask people to please give, give that moment, um, leave that door cracked open, leave that window open just a little bit. Because when we close ourselves off, we don't enable those stories to penetrate our hearts and our minds. And when we can, um, sometimes those stories will be extremely powerful and kind of knock us on our tush and make you cry and make you angry. And that's where we know that that emotions, those emotions are being tapped. And the people that we need to listen to right now more than ever are the people who, who are those who have been impacted. So when it comes to, you know, the voices around George Floyd and Jacob Blake and Breonna Taylor, um, I think it's important that uh, we listen to people of color. We listen to black people. We listen to their stories. And not just listen to ask questions. It's it's it really is a matter of just listening. And it is that willingness that need you need to get to, and then 
just shutting everything down and, and listening, um, you know, watching, you can watch documentaries. Um, and the, there's so many resources that are floating around right now, listening to podcasts. Um, there was a podcast that a friend shared that was all about, uh, black women and walking and the impact of walking on your health and how your, you know, how those health disparities that exist in this world, um, especially for people of color, you know, it is important that they get out, that people get out and walk and they take care of themselves and they watch what they eat because, you know, when you look at the percentages of um, different groups and the health issues that, um, that plague so many different groups. Um, it's, it's important. So this particular one, um, I started to do it. I've kind of started my job. And so I haven't really been able to keep up with it, but really it's there. Um, each day it's a different topic and you just walk uh, 45 minutes and you walk and listen. Um, sometimes I've not been able to listen live. So I just, at nighttime, I get on the treadmill and I listen to it because there's truth in what, you know, what these individuals are sharing. Because to be quite honest, I didn't get the education, uh, an accurate education on the people that impacted this world before I was even a thought in someone's mind. Um, you know, and that accurate history about everyone and how we got to where we are. Um, is important to have. So I think listening to, as a white woman, listening to people that I, that do not look like me. Um, and I think that's, that's, those are the stories that um, have impacted me. And those are the ones that I continue to share with others because I know that they can be extremely powerful. You know, it's interesting because even when we talk about stories, like even fictional stories, I know one of my biggest, I don't know if my takeaways or realizations that I had during this entire movement was when I looked at my library, I mean, I have books on diversity, I have books on, and you know, I was adding to the collection and then someone threw out this one liner on social media about um, fictional books by people of color, mm -hmm. like whether it's Latinx, whether it's black, brown, they tell their stories and they tell their stories from a perspective of how they were raised, just like any other fictional author. Um, and so I went down there to go find, you know, what is the, the chick lit written by uh, black authors or um, Latinx authors. And now I have these fictional books that to go to vacation and read and, and listen to the stories that they tell. Cause it is, it's different because it's just a different lens and it helps give another perspective um, and still be moved. Cause that's what I love about fictional books is you go mm -hmm. on these romantic stories with them. Um, but they have this different kind of twist. They have this different kind of uh, uh, even like speaking. Cause I, I know that's always been a big topic in fictional writing when a white author tries to include diversity that they can't truly capture the essence mm -hmm. of, that individual of color. It always sounds almost like a kind of like Barbie 
when they just started changing the, the skin color of Barbie, she wasn't truly a representation of those ethnicities and, and races and cultures. She was just the white Barbie with a darker skin tone. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and we, well, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> well, yeah. That's a whole other podcast. Not saying that Barbie is the model, but. <laughs> well, um, I think what you, what you said goes to that, um, you know, obviously the impact of stories, but it's the layers because some stories may hit, you know, one layers, one through three. And then you have some stories that will transcend to the core of who you are and, and really be part of that foundation of re-understanding and relearning um, life and, you know, what it is that, you know, whether it's history, whether it's fiction, um, those voices will provide those layers and um, those drops in the bucket that will help us um, be better people because otherwise we've been surrounded by white voices, white marketing, and um, that's just not reality, especially more now more than ever, knowing that the census foresees um, whites who are at this point um, across you know the world are a minority, but in our own country will be a minority in what is it thirty years if less than that, not it's even something like that um, yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, and I and I love how you said that because you know we believe because we've been surrounded by white voices that that is the norm, and I will be brutally honest. I assumed like how much different can it be to read a book that's written by a person of color, and I was rudely awakened when I read. I'm reading a book that I'm very much enjoying. Enjoying. Enjoying enjoying yes <laughs> i want to say like enjoining that's not a real <laughs> word enjoying um which is eloquent rage by Brittany cooper and she okay makes this memoir about um why she is angry as a as a black feminist and what's happened to her and telling her stories but it took me a while to get through the first couple chapters because the voice is different it's different than i've ever read mm-hmm. um not not bad, not wrong. It's just, it's a different voice. And I think that's part of what makes it so alluring is that I feel like I've missed out on Mm -hmm. so much. And so now I'm kind of curious to keep picking up all these books because what kind of voice am I going to meet? Mm -hmm. I just assume they all sounded kind of the same. Some of them had these British accents or whatever I made up in my head, Mm -hmm. but now there's a whole nother dynamic to it. So, and that's, that's, I'm glad you said that because a lot of um, of work that people do, individuals do, will impact an organization. So, you know, when you can get individuals within your organization to to cre- to to start change within themselves, that will ultimately impact the org- the organization. And that's where I think some of the beauty of an organization can, can really develop. And when you talk about voices um, and reading and understanding other voices, we've been, um, Tina, 
Christina Okun, I think is her name, um, talking about white, although it's, um, it's a very polarizing term, white supremacy, but when you're in a, you're surrounded by white voices and white standards, that's all we know. So when we hear and start to learn others, you know, you think, people might think, what in the world is that? Or, you know, have a few choice words to describe it. Or if you're a little kid, you know, that's weird. That's freaky. That's, but it's, when you step back and think about it, all your life has been really defined by that culture, that white culture. And um, un, I can imagine being someone who was black, indigenous, a person of color, trying to live in this world and understanding now the complexity of identity and what that looks like for them as I get chills. Um, and how, how dare I, you know, try to change that and say, you need to assimilate or you need to be like this. And this is the standard and it's, it's not. And, um, that's a huge pill to swallow for a lot of people. And I, I'll, I will say probably 10, 15 years ago, if not sooner, that was me. Um, and I, I have to be careful with the words that I choose because they can be polarizing and very divisive. But I think we've created what is bad and what is good, but really we have to redefine what that means, understanding that you know, when you say uh, racist, it doesn't mean that small collective that's standing over here, over in the corner. Could that be me? But I'm not that kind of person. And so I think it is for me, hear, hearing stories and learning and reading and watching have transformed how I see words, people, and just the world around me. And that's, you know, that's the power of all of that. But you have to be willing um, to step back and not, and not be so fragile. And, um, but because the worlds have been centered around us, um, it's, yeah, it's, you have to be willing to kind of step back and, um, open that up to others. Yeah, I think, um, and I love, I don't love the fact that you got emotional, but it's, uh, I guess it's, it's almost supporting to me because I know recently, you know, I've been really challenging myself as an HR practitioner when it comes to how do we manifest change? Because we've been talking about this for way too long. And just as you said about waking up to that, I realized that a lot of HR policy and procedure is built on that white standard. Um, and I was on a call and someone was sharing a story of, you know, a person of color, an indigenous person coming into this, our workspaces, our cultures that are built on white norms. 
How are they supposed to feel comfortable? How are they supposed to show up on their best? How are they supposed to respond to interview questions that make it so that they are chosen to be selected for positions when the voice is different? Mm-hmm. So, um, and that was like a, that was a whoa moment. And then it also got very heavy to realize how much work really needs to be done. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we initially start talking about these stories and also connecting it to some of the other experience that you have in your background, one of the things that came to mind almost instantly for me was the hashtag me too movement, which is still very active. It's not over. However, one of the things that I really admire about that movement, not only did it inspire people to share their stories, but we saw people who thought they were untouchable being held accountable. We saw uh, call outs of organizational policies that made no sense. I remember when I read the article for Matt Lauer um, saying that somebody had authorized for him to have a button underneath his desk that allowed him to lock his door. What, in what world is that policy like that anyone would want to sign off on that? But um, those things coming to light. And it was really, for me, I thought a huge win, especially in the HR world to really kind of put leaders in their place when they, when I have had pushback that says nothing's ever really going to happen. Um, and, and people underestimated what that movement was going to do. I also loved how it invited everyone to have a story. And the pushback was always like, not everyone has a story. Everyone has a story. It might not be these horrific, super tragic, but we all have a hashtag me too movement story of some sort that is still traumatic uh, to us as women and has an impact on us as women. Um, You know, for me, thinking about the Black Lives Matter movement, um, all the things that are coming forward, talking about stories, they all have stories as well that we have not been listening to. And so um, I know, Melissa, you have background dealing um, with, uh, correct me, the the right terminology, crisis intervention. um, No. Uh, Well, I would say um, victim services. Victim services. Prevention education. Um, But very much aligned with the hashtag Me Too Mm -hmm. movement bucket. Um, What are your thoughts on, are there any lessons we can learn from that movement that might be applicable to what we're encountering here in regards to stories and growing um, or providing a platform for those stories to be shared or just overall lessons? Yeah. Um, Yeah, that was, that was an interesting conversation that we had when we were able to, to realize how much, um, relevance there was between the two. Um, and I think, you know, we talked about it at length before, but I think it's enabling those voices to be heard and giving them, giving people a safe space and the willingness to hear them. And they don't, we don't always offer that as a package deal. And, um, I, I mean, when I can turn on the morning news and not necessarily the local news, <laughs> but when I can turn on, uh, you know, a nationally affiliated show like the Today Show, for instance, and I can hear them talk, they're talking, telling stories about racial inequality and they're sharing stories of um, what people are doing in different movements. So whether it's sports, whether it's art, um, I think it's, it, it's, 
between the two of them is that what happened with the Me Too moment is that we didn't have a voice. And when, when we did share our voice, it fell on deaf ears or we got blamed. Well, you were asking for it. You were doing this. What were you doing? What, you know, where were you? It was, and we're doing that now with Jacob Blake. Well, what was he doing? And what, he had a knife and, you know, asking, uh, posing those questions. And is that legitimizing what happened to him? Or are we stepping back further enough and just looking at as looking at it like even like George Floyd, you know, kneeling at a um, at a per peaceful protest that my husband and I went to early on um, at a local church. Um, it was a moment where you know, it was probably after 10, 15 seconds, I'm going, oh my gosh. And I mean, I knew it was long, but when you're actually, you know, waiting that whole long time, it's like, there's nothing, there's nothing that okays that to happen. Um, but I think we need to give, and there's, there's, um, I don't know. There's a, there's something that, well, I don't know if I could come up with a word, but, you know, we were able, you know, as women, you know, finally the Me Too movement has shed light and there's a lot to, there's, you know, still a lot of progress that needs to happen, but fairly quickly, if you, I mean, compared to, I think of years of, going to try different sitting in on different trials and, and meeting victims at the hospital and doing programs and trying to change minds about you know simple things whether it was about simple not simple sexual harassment or healthy relationships or healthy boundaries um, and students you know people of all ages would kind of question that but you know, now it, it's okay to have those conversations and you're not, you know, I don't necessarily he, hear people whispering about it. You know, sometimes I, I think a lot of us, a lot of people have been in those conversations when somebody's just standing there talking and then they start to whisper. And it's like, what do you, what do you, why are you whispering? Why are you whispering on that particular word like rape or they were black, they were black. And it's like, why are you whispering? Are you whispering because it's something bad? And if it's bad, why is it bad? And, um, you know, those are opportunities that, that, you know, kind of flip the mirror on people. Um, not necessarily, I'm not, I'm not coming at you with, you know, with all the venom that I have, but I will ask you to, I will ask you to help me understand why you said that. Um, you know, whether it's the tone, whether it's the words. Um, and that's where I think a lot of times our unconscious biases sneak up on us and, and, um, and bite us in the butt because they're the things that we've not addressed. And even for myself, they, uh, they come up every once in a while. And 
I have to somehow find resolve and do my detective work and try to figure out why that still is there um, and, and deal with it. So, um, but we're not giving, I mean, we are giving people the space to have these conversations, but not nearly enough, I think, as much as we have for women. And that's where I think um, we, have, we still have a lot of work to do. And, you know, you can change policies, you can change words on paper, but, you know, where it really sinks in is understanding. And so enabling people to have the safe space to share without retaliation, without questioning why, or, you know, or asking them to keep it down, um, or tone policing them. Um, it's just, you know, we need to give people of color and black people and indigenous people um, the space that they deserve. Um, so the idea of these spaces has been coming up a lot <clears throat> in the organizational setting. So um, I see, you know, one of the first steps when all these organizations are seeking advice as far as what do we do? Like, obviously we want to be part of the change and everyone says, well, you gotta like take care of your own organization. You gotta look hard at it um, and start with assessment, which is very much logical. Um, but creating that safe space um, is a unique kind of task there. And a leader can have the best intentions in the world and they can create open forums, which most of them are on Zoom calls like Melissa and I are today recording this podcast. Um, some of them are anonymous surveys and then they just don't get their responses or no one speaks up. Mm -hmm. um, how, how do I create a space that is safe? Like, do you have any tools to hear those stories? Because I think those stories are really important regardless if they happen at the organization or what they are living with, because let's just be real. You can't draw a hard divide line. If something happens to you on the way to work where you are um, discriminated against, if you are hurt or uh, impacted in any fashion, it's going to, it's going to bleed over into the workplace. Um, mm -hmm. That's a, with any of us. Um, and so we want to hear those stories so that we can understand how do I how do I do that as a as a leader that maybe is not in the facilitator business to help really push and probe? Because I've seen it go a bunch of different ways. I've seen a leader basically say, "Well, there must be nothing." We gave the we gave the opportunity, and they sign off because maybe one person told a story, which is usually your vocal employee. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other side I've seen is there's somebody who kind of just steps in and starts like doing a makeshift training like we're wasting time here and the silence makes us uncomfortable and so then that time just disappears and they say email us if you have anything and and that's it and then they move on to developing a plan which is not built on what's actually happening there right so how what do you have any recommendations for how to st structure that if i really want to get curious and hear what's happening in my organization as a leader or here in my department Mm-hmm. I think it, 
I, I want to say you have to create a cult. You have to create a culture of that. But if your organization doesn't necessarily have that culture of of speaking up, uh, some key things to understand is that you know it's a safe to be a safe space as you can imagine. It's, it's confidentiality um, and and understanding that if I share my story, what are, you know, what are you going to do with it? Is this going to come back? You know, making sure that 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 it's not something that comes back as a negative to me. Um, I've been that person in different organizations where I didn't say anything because a couple times I did share something and nothing happened. And so why bother speaking up? Um, and then I don't know what clicked and I became that person who speaks up because not everyone has the courage or the strength or the support to speak up and they will be the individuals that will quickly leave your organization most likely depending upon you know if they if they are able to find another job but um it's 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 difficult because you have to have the right person, I think, as a part of that. Because if, you know, if it's Jocelyn and Jocelyn is known as somebody who likes to gossip, I don't know if I'm going to go to Jocelyn and talk to, to them about what's going on. Um, and it could be anything, you know, you know, but I think, that person. So if it's my HR person in an organization that it, um, the other part of another piece of that puzzle is unfortunately what, how that impacts the person who is listening to this and how, you know, is three EAP sessions enough? I don't know. I mean, I think it can be, it can be a, a very heavy burden to know the issues and the pain that exist within an organization but i think being able to help that person um, having the skills to not only listen but also be trusted that you know whatever information that someone is sharing or some you know some groups are sharing is that you know this is what I want you to take away from it. And this is where I'd like to see change. And that, that should ideally happen before any exit interview. And unfortunately, I mean, I've had a, a good friend actually leave an organization. And I said, please tell me you said something. And they said, no, no. And I'm like, that's not going to help. Um, especially, you know, in an organization when you only have, when there's that one or one or two people that are always the same people who are share who are stepping up and sharing. And I'm the, I'm the, I was a person who steps up and shares because like I said before, like if people, if I know people don't feel safe speaking up, um, I think they have to come to that place on their own how they get there 
has to be something that the organization helps create. And the, whoever is, is doing that work has to be enabled, has to be given some parameters that enable them to build that trust um, and, and then be able to provide support and resources once those individuals come forward. But they have, leadership has to be willing to hear it too. Um, you can put that safe place out there, but if I'm not gonna continue to share if I feel like it's for nothing. I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question. No, I mean, I, I love that you speak to the fact that this has a complexity to itself, mm -hmm. you know, choosing to host an all staff open forum. And that's going to be step one, a quick step one to start moving our work forward. It's not that simple. Mm -hmm. um, I know that I've pushed back on organizations, even as you know, whether I was a consultant, just even in HR, like you could have another consultant for diversity working with them. And I've sat in those meetings and I said, I'll be honest with you. I have stories that I'm willing to share. I speak for a living. I even touch on diversity a little bit. So I be vulnerable on a regular basis. Um, I, I was having anxiety sitting in there and like, mm -hmm. I would not want to talk in front of that 130 people and hit my little button and start talking. Um, and also like, what does that dynamic look like? Because you're absolutely right. I mean, you have people of color, you have white people and everyone's learning and unlearning at their own pace. And all those stories are triggering all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And so can you watch that for 130 people on a Zoom call? Mm -hmm. And you control what happens when those things start to be unleashing. And I think those are things that you have to start to think about. Like everything that you shared, Melissa, made me think, smaller is probably better if I'm trying yeah. to get a real gauge on where my staff is yeah. in relation to this. These bulk meetings are more of a check the box because you can't, you can't take care of the people that are involved. You can't protect the space. Um, the, the one thing that I, I, as you're talking kind of not necessarily regard, you're not saying what I'm saying back, but I think and um, hearing your process that, um, it reminds me that if you have a supervisor, manager, or leader that says to you, I've got an open door policy. Um, I remember working as a college admissions, and I remember one of the first days somebody said, and uh, you got to make sure you leave your door open. I said, well, what if I'm on a private call? Okay, private call, yeah, but otherwise, your door is open all the time. Somebody needs to come in, you, you know, you need to have that open door policy. And it was like, I, don't, I mean, it wasn't like it knocked me off my feet, but it was one of those things where it's like understanding that office's culture. And we also, the, one of the other things was every day, 12 to one, the office was closed so that people could do whatever they want, errands, lunch, whatever you want, you know, whatever you um, had, that was your time. But understanding that um, whenever somebody would share with me, because they knew I was a safe person, even by word of mouth, it was still an opportunity to say, okay, go talk to so-and-so. Are you sure? But they're, you know, they're in this position of authority. Yeah, I know. 
but they have an open door policy. I have gone and shared with them from day one and I've grown to trust and enough that I've shared some pretty deep stuff that I've seen and heard and uh, believe that that person wants to help uh, change the culture of this organization. So, um, you know, kind of that, you, you've got the seal of approval from me to go to so-and-so to do that, but um, no, larger groups, no, they're threatening. Um, and people want to keep, I want to keep my business to my business, you know? And um, I think, if you have those safe individuals, safe spaces and safe individuals in an organization uh, to use them, um, you know, obviously being new in an organization can be, um, you know, I don't say walking a minefield, but it, it can be, <laughs> you, you know, not knowing, you know, what, what's going to blow up or what hole you might fall in. But um also just making sure that you're keeping track of, of yourself. And, um, you know, even if it's talking to somebody outside, you know, a therapist, a friend, um, and, and processing that with someone so that it's not something that hopefully interferes with what you, you know, your day to day. Um, but those are some of the stressors that weigh on people every day that, um, you know, you know, you have stereotypes about people being angry, you know, certain people being angry, uh, black people being angry. And my, my response is if you were treated the way, if you, if you would have, if you would hear their stories, I would be just as angry, you know, again, not necessarily the same thing, but relating it back to me too being talked down to being mansplained, you know, yeah, I, it's happened, it happens enough to you. And, you know, there's a line. Um, and I think there's, there's a lot of learning that organizational leadership needs, um, and understanding those complexities that people come to work with. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, as you were talking about the open door policy and the way that you kind of almost pass the trust to ensure that the right people still here for organizational change to happen and, and for it to be heard, like as HR practitioners, we need to make sure that we can be that person. Mm-hmm. You know, if people can't come to you and your office is not a safe space and you haven't mastered that part of your culture, um, how are you able to be at least step one. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't believe that HR practitioners should have it all figured out when it comes to all the things we're responsible for. But one thing is that you should at least be able to provide a safe space so that you can learn what's going on in your organization. Um, and whether you're too busy to not be able to make time for people or there's just not a culture to allow it to happen, like that's one thing that has to change. And that was something mm-hmm. that I've always been really passionate about, even when I work with other organizations now. I want access, like, let me go out on your shop floor. Let me come in on a day when people are working and let me give me a pass so I can float around your office. Like I want there to start building a credibility and a trust that like, Hey, I'm here. You can trust me. 
And because that's the only way we ever know what's actually happening on anything organizationally. And so now we're talking about something so heavy that makes people so uncomfortable, um, causes so much anger. And I will tell you, that's probably one of the things that's my biggest takeaway from reading this book that I'm almost done with by Brittany Cooper, Eloquent Rage, is that as I was reading, I was like, I totally get it why you would be so angry and you have every right to like it was just and it turned from me being uncomfortable by being met with anger in those certain scenarios to me just being heartbroken by the fact that you have to that you have to be that angry because mm-hmm. of all the of, of what has happened in life historically but even just to I like most of the time it's just their stories. And I think that's, what's so impactful to me. Like everyone wants to focus on history has nothing to do with history. You can take like the last 10 years of someone's life and there's been enough there that Mm -hmm. justifies that we need to have change right now. Mm -hmm. And so there's so many stories out there to just listen to. And even if it's nothing technically happened, the fear, the fear and the fact that you have to be taught to function that way Mm -hmm. in itself is a powerful story. Right. Because who wants to live in fear? It's like being in a horror film all the entire times and not knowing who's the next one, you know, uh, which is not a great comparison. And I hate that that's what comes to mind, but that's what it feels like. I, I, I um, feel incredibly privileged that I don't have to teach my children how to react if they ever get pulled over by the police or a police Mm -hmm. officer um, approaches them um, or, any sort of scenarios and um my children are they're mixed they're filipino i have one that gets darker than my relatives during the summer um and we do have some conversations but i don't have to have conversations of that level so mm-hmm. um it's very eye-opening and to me at least this is where i am currently in my journey it's very sad and it's very heartbreaking and it has to stop yeah the the positive i think from that though is they may not necessarily you may not have to have that conversation with them but the conversations that when they see it happening they they have the ability to use their voice um to question to stand up um because they understand um, maybe not necessarily the complexities, but they can have a general understanding of this is right or this is wrong. You know, my 12 year old totally gets it. And I think (laughs) it kind of knocks, I think in a good way, it knocks me, kind of knocks me over because I'm like, was I that aware of things around me at that time? And, um, it was obviously a much different world then, but you know, the one thing my husband looked at me is that's your daughter. And I said, that's okay. She's, she's going to have, um, she will have the opportunity and the ability just like her older sister, who is very much, um, when you see something, you say something, um, it's learning to kind of, um, make sure what, what uh situate what what the climate's like in where you are so and making sure that um yeah just making sure that you are being 
um, that you're not all over the place, but that you're making sure your point is clear that this is wrong and this is why, or this, you know what, you shouldn't be doing this, um, or pulling that person away, or whether, you know, whether it's, um, uh, deflecting and, you know, getting somebody out of a possible, um, unsafe position, um, those upstander, um, things that they can do to help create, to help, to make sure that everyone in this world is safe. And that's, that's why after the election, the last presidential election, when people started wearing um, safety pins, um, I just, there's something that was drawing me to that. And, you know, if that's a symbol for anything for me now, it's understanding that I, I can be that safety pin. If you need somebody to talk, if you need somebody to pull you away, you know, um, is that we can be, we can be those strong allies, but I think it, it, it does come from the stories. It does come, you know, that builds the strength, I think, and the courage to, um, to, to, to do action. You know, as you uh, were sharing that, it's funny how things just kind of come full circle in these conversations, but, um, I was just thinking, you know, when you were mentioning very early on about the whispering and calling people out on that, the person, my oldest daughter, who is nine now, she is the queen of that. Like if at any time, because I still have, you know, based off the environment and, and wherever we are trying, you know, and not being sure, because that's this whole new thing, you know, what, what do I say? What do I not say? And she will flat out just be like, I'll be like, Maddie, not, not so loud. And she's like, Why? Like, why can I just go talk to that person and ask them, like, why, why do they act like that? Like not, mm -hmm. not anything wrong with it. She just is legit curious. Um, and time has told me, cause she's been like this since she was really little, um, that like, there's, there's nothing wrong with it. She goes over and has these really cool conversations with people and people are happy to share. And we're so assuming that like, it's offensive if she goes over and says like, what are you eating or why are you eating that mm -hmm. do you like that? Or, you know, why are you, why do you, do you like those bright color clothes? You know, like just things that children are curious about. And then when I'm like, not so loud, she's like, why, what's wrong with what I'm saying? Is there something wrong mm -hmm. with what I'm saying? And you're just like, no, now that, you know, it's just this horrible now, mirror back. Have to think about it. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I guess not. So I can go over there. I can go ask, I can say hello. And I'm like, I guess, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Like, is there something wrong? Is it bad to say hello to people that don't look like me? Wow, well, that's a smack in the face. <laughs> you know? My daughter usually gets embarrassed. She'll be like, mom, mom, stop talking to that person. You know, you're embarrassing, you're, you're embarrassing yourself. And I said, or am I embarrassing you? Because <laughs> I will talk to it. I mean, for the most part, um, but you know, if I see someone like, I love kids and I, I am, I, I certainly understand that they're, you know, as a stranger to children, I shouldn't be talking to them, but if there's an adult parental figure with them, that's usually when I'll say something to them to engage, but yeah, anymore. Mm -hmm. So everything I do is embarrassing. So that's, that's the part of getting older, I guess. Yes. We get yes. embarrassing. We go from cool to embarrassing. Well, I tell her that's in the job description. That's so. right. Well, Melissa, I want to thank you so much for taking time out today and talking to us and um, 
being real and showing that this topic is hard. And I, I think that's something that has to be showcased. I mean, you, you rattle off a resume where you've basically been immersed in this work um, for a long time. Uh, <clears throat> and even that's how I, um, that's how I know of you is that you are one of the primary resources that we call as HR practitioners in whatever realm to help us navigate when any sort of diversity issue came about. Um, and to hear you share and, you know, you get chills and you get emotions as you think about your personal journey, um, which is absolutely a non-negotiable if we're going to do this work and, and transform and actually manifest true change. Um, it's been really touching and really impactful for me. Well, so thank you, thank you very you. much. Thank you. Do you have any final words for our listeners? I think, I think I said it before, but it, it, being willing to leave that door or that window open, um, and although I don't think I use this phrase at all, but um, stepping outside your comfort zone um, in places where you wouldn't expect and understanding that um, the more you can do that, whether it's shopping at a different grocery store or it's, it's beyond food as much as we like to say, oh, well, let's have a cultural event. I think it really is um, listening to stories and being, you know, and being specific and targeted at what you are listening to um, or attending, whether it's, you know, or there, it's a museum, um, the Museum of Tolerance in California or the Holocaust Museum or African American History Museum. Um, push yourself, um, and it, even if it's just pushing yourself into baby steps, um, I think you'll be, you'll be better for doing so. Yeah, I think that's great, great advice. Um, and I love that you say baby steps. Mm -hmm. and keeping the door and the window just a little bit open mm -hmm. and recognize, and we've heard this time and time again on the podcast, you can give yourself grace. You don't have mm -hmm. to go charging in there. We no. recognize that this is, there's a vulnerability here. There's a fear. You're going back to school. Yeah. And so give yourself grace. And just as long as you're constantly willing to peek there and go in there. Um, and I love the examples about the museums. I don't know what the protocol is right now with COVID, but yeah, um, the African American Museum, the Smithsonian Museum is a beautiful work of art. Mm -hmm. um, the downstairs. Give yourself a lot of time for that. Yes. Um, and then not only that, but also, um, and you said about food, the cafeteria there has amazing food. Yeah. Um, but it's also, it's like a cultural event because um, that museum, um, they've worked hard to make that come to life. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I'm always moved by when you go in there is there's always so many families that are talking about their culture and their history and celebrating it in such a positive fashion. Cause the way the mm -hmm. museum is built, it has basically a celebration of life almost up and then going mm -hmm. down is the history. Um, which I just think is, is, you know, I'm a big fan of those Smithsonian museums. So obviously mm -hmm. I'm a big nerd there. So obviously I was right there when that thing opened up, but I thought it was beautifully done. And it, I mean, culturally, I mean, black people from a music standpoint and, uh, you know, going through, I'm a, uh, I'm a huge music. Uh, I was a vocal major. That's how I started and then got transitioned. And so 
um, for me walking through that exhibit, I mean, those were voices that I admired for so long in my childhood and it was just incredibly moving. And now to mm -hmm. attach that to what we're talking about in today's world, um, it's just, yeah, obviously this is, this is that personal journey. It's going to hit from yeah. all different avenues and yeah. it just unwinds and it continues. And no matter how long, there's just so much that we still need to learn about mm -hmm. ourselves about others um but it's worth it it's totally worth it definitely definitely all right so thanks again melissa and thank mm -hmm. you to everyone else who tuned in and listened today i hope that you got a gem and a nugget and felt the emotion that is there and felt inspired and i will talk to you next week and i'm sure melissa will probably be back because i'm sure i will tap her as another subject matter expert on a future podcast but other than that, have a great day. Thank you. Thank you.